Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad you're joining us on this early Sunday morning. And uh, we're talking today about curiosity and what that means in the process. So we've talked about trust and humility and self-disclosure. And today we talk a little bit about curiosity, which is kind of the mirror image of self-disclosure. Someone being willing to talk about themselves. Uh, Are we at all curious about what's going on inside of another human being? Are we at all curious about getting under the surface, about figuring out what makes the person that we are trying to get closer to or maybe that we're in conflict with, what makes them human, what makes them tick, what makes them who they are? And so when you stop and you think about that, I want to just kind of throw out there an idea. It seems to me that life is a giant laboratory. I I think this is true about so many things. You know, being a a pastor of a church and being in ministry and having gone through this year of pandemic, I get emails every day. I get an inbox full of emails every day from people telling me how to lead the church through the pandemic. And I just laugh. I just think, uh, I'm going to pay you to tell me how we're going to do something that's never been done. Uh, What makes you think you have the answers? And I just think, you know, life is an experiment. Uh, Family, relationship, marriage, parenting. It's a giant laboratory. It's full of attempting experiments and learning from our mistakes and moving forward and growing and recognizing that what works now might not work in the future. And I'm not sure we're honest about that as a culture. I think instead we're looking for the answer and how to nail things down and get them resolved and, and put them in the book and, and, and close the book and be settled and over it and through it. And that's just not how the world works anymore. It's a laboratory. And it's full of experimentation. And because it's full of experimentation, for healthy people, it's full of experimentation. And and because it is, it means we're humble in that process. We're trying some stuff. But we're honest about the results. Wouldn't that be amazing if that happened to get into our politics? If we said, let's be honest. We tried it and it didn't work. We're going to try something else. That's not the answer. Instead of, no, we're going to go down with the ship. This isn't working, but it's our policy and we're going to stick to it until we're all dead. Uh, It just would be a whole different world. It's not a concept that's kind of new to us. Jesus talked about it. Luke 6, 43, he talks about no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't go around picking figs off thorn bushes, or they don't pick grapes from briars. But a good person brings good things out of the good stored up in their heart, and an evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in their heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart's full of. So Jesus is this brilliant, he's brilliant in this sense. He just says, listen, you can say a lot of stuff, you can act like a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, the tree that you have planted will bear fruit, and you cannot deny the fruit of it. And so I, I just, right now especially, in this time of such divisiveness, I hear and read things on social media especially, and I think, 
what kind of fruit must that bear? There's no way that is bearing good fruit. It's not bearing any kind of love or grace or reconciliation. It's, it's just bearing the fruit of divisiveness. It's bearing the fruit of, of being unfair, of being one-sided, of you've portrayed your argument in a way that you, you are being a bully, you're domineering to other people. How can that be good? Because the fruit of it is not good. How many people are recognizing or being nourished by what we're doing? I think it's a fair question. And I think Jesus presents it to us because he wants us to stop and go, stop kidding yourself. Stop telling yourself these things. Look at the fruit. And when it comes to relationships and it comes to healing conversations, it's not rocket science. We just look. It's a laboratory. We're experimenting and we look and we go, either I'm having healthy, good, connected relationships that I'm getting deeper or I'm not. Either the fruit is I'm in some healthy space with a lot of people or a set number of people or I'm not in a healthy space with very many people. And it seems to me relationally that either people struggle across the board or they tend to be better in relationship across the board because our ways of working either make us better suited for relationship or less suited for relationship. Are you honest about that? Are you honest about the fruit of your own journey and your own relationships? That somewhere in there it's ready for us to consider now, if you're a, a person of faith and uh, particularly of Christianity, then you know that uh, in Galatians we get a list of the fruits of the Spirit, meaning as you are in step with Christ and the Holy Spirit, then you bear certain fruit in your life. Uh, it's a disturbing list because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So are those the fruits and often when I'm preaching, I, I get on this topic, you know, we can talk about a lot of things, but, but somewhere in here is this question. Here's what it means is, is would people say, when I come around you, <laughs> the fruit that I find is incredibly sweet and nourishing. I look forward to it because it's full of love and joy. I know when I'm around you, I'm going to get love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. And, self-control. and if not, why not? What's going on? Because we might need to dig some stuff up. We might need to get rid of some stuff. We might need to think through why. And I don't know what happens in your journey in life, but what happens in my journey in life is very often I want to blame other people because I'm not bearing good fruit. Well, the reason I'm not having love and joy and peace and patience is because people aren't giving me the kind of life that would create love and joy and peace and patience. That's not how this works. That's not the question. The question is, why do you and I not bear the fruit that is the most desirable? What's happening in your journey and in your life? So when we think about what that looks like, you know, we can do a quick assessment and most of us immediately know what kind of, what kind of fruit we're bearing. In 2007, Kimberly Clark, the parent company of Kleenex brand tissues, launched an advertising campaign And that advertising campaign was entitled, Let It Out. Maybe you remember or recall these series of commercials. It featured a bright blue couch 
sitting in different areas and settings of urban chaos. And next to the couch, there was a little table, and on that table was a box of Kleenex, and there was a chair. And as people walked by, a man appeared with a microphone and invites people, random people, to just sit down and let it out. What ensues is amazing. People consented to sit down, and they shared their stories. Any story, random stories. They told stories about life, good things, sad things, hard things, fun things. Very few got through their story without some sort of very real and cathartic tears. Thus, the Kleenex connection. So think about that for a moment. That somehow total strangers on the street being invited to sit down and share about themselves, move quickly from being total strangers to being in tears and sharing very deeply meaningful things in their life. It's an astonishing little experiment about life. And the truth of the matter is, it seems to me that that demonstrates the argument that I've been making that people want to be known. I don't know. It seems to me that people do enjoy talking about themselves. They enjoy talking about certain things in their lives. They enjoy talking about what is going on with them. And if you can listen to the surface things, they have a tendency to get deeper. And if you are at all curious, people will reveal a great deal about who they are and where they come from. We are deep and mysterious beings. We are capable of carrying within us every kind of emotion at once. We can feel great joy and deep sadness at the very same time. We can feel inspiration and depression in a single breath. Our minds tend to run on without much supervision. I don't know about you, but my thoughts can manage to surprise me. Like, where did that come from? Why am I focused on that? How did I get on that topic? While the content of our inner world is kind of a labyrinth and deep and has all kinds of mystery inside of us, one simple way that we can explore our inner world is by simply talking about what's going on. That by talking and engaging with someone else, we start to map out the mysteries of our inner world. We start to understand ourselves better. We start to connect and understand other people better. When's the last time you felt like you were engaged in a conversation like that, in which you were able to make sense out of what was going on inside of you because somebody listened? Somebody said, let it out. Just tell your story. What's happening to you? How are you feeling? How did that happen? What did you think when it happened? And as we start to walk that crazy journey of self-disclosure, life starts to make better sense. We start to feel happier, lighter, more unburdened. It's the fine art of curiosity, that someone's genuinely curious about what's going on inside you. Are there people like that in your world? Are you like that to others? When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about curiosity. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts. We're talking about the power of curiosity. I am continually amazed at the simple power 
of being curious about another human being. And this knows no age demographic. One of the things that I love to do with my grandchildren is sit down and just say, hey, what's going on? What are you talking about? What are you thinking about? You know, that's a journey. That, that is a wild ride. It's fascinating. But my grandkids never, they are never, 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 never at a loss to talk about something that's going on with them, something they're thinking about, something that they dreamed about, something they did at school, something that happened to them. It's amazing to me the power of this simple thing, curiosity, that strangers sitting on a couch in the middle of a sidewalk can weep and lap and jump for joy with a person that was a total stranger a few minutes before, all because someone said, I'm interested in your story. Tell me what's going on. Every day, millions of people walk into the offices of therapists who grant them the gift of being curious. Now, as a person who's been in therapy a couple of times in my life, I got to tell you, those days, that time became a sanctuary, a time I looked forward to, a time when somebody that was skilled and gifted, who went into this profession because they cared about people, would genuinely be curious about me, about the deeper feelings that somebody in a safe environment, an environment by structure is created for confidentiality, would talk to me and ask me questions and lean in. And I, I knew going in that I'd be questioned on subjects that I knew about, me, me, what happened to me, how I felt, how I thought, what was going on. And while in therapy, we're never naive about the fact that we're paying, still gifted and skilled therapists know how to care. They know how to be curious in the best way. For 50 minutes, no one needed anything from me. I was just allowed to talk about me. I have friends like that. Friends that are really attentive people. They're the ones who say, how are you? And then, and then when you say fine, they get in your face and say, no, no, no. I really want to know how you are. What is going on? What's happening? Tell me about it. Let's sit down. Let's talk. I'm amazed because over the years I've had, you know, in, in, in all the different phases of my life, there have been deep friendships. And even though you kind of move on, I, I have those friendships that even though I might have seen somebody, not seen them in years, we can sit down and begin a deep conversation immediately. Ten years we haven't seen each other, five years, two years. And those friends can sit down in those conversations with me. They're not in a hurry. They're not rushing. They're taking their time. They're asking good questions. They're laughing when you laugh. They get mad when you're mad. They're sharing with you in that journey. As you disclose things about yourself, they're genuinely curious. They don't really have any special knowledge. They're not trained therapists or counselors. They come from all different walks of life. But they possess a skill, a gift curiosity about me, about my story, about where I came from. And they offer that gift in a way that makes me feel loved and cared for, and it makes me love them and care for them. 
So most of us, as we think about that, have somebody like that in our lives. And as I even talk about it, you're thinking, oh, yeah, you, you know a name and a face. You're thinking about who that might be. Maybe you ought to call them today. Maybe you want to look them up. Maybe it's been a while. Are you that to someone else? Do you practice that gift? We all know the value of it. We all know the strength of it. But sometimes we forget the gift of it. Maybe today's a good day for you to be curious about your child, your adult child, your young child, your spouse, your friends. Maybe you're just going to decide today to be curious about people. People in line, maybe instead of allowing them to be a source of irritation, you allow them to be a source of curiosity. Ask good questions. We spend a lot of energy talking about curiosity, but let me ask you a question that's underlying it. Are you interested in people? You can't just pretend to be curious about people. You have to actually be interested in people. I like to tell this story about being in seminary and having a fellow seminary student ask the professor, what type of ministry should you engage in if you don't really like people? And the professor said, probably not ministry at all. It's probably not a good field to be in. And the reality is, you know, to, to say I'm going to practice curiosity, you can't really trick people. It's not like a program. It's not a formula. You can't say I'm going to go out and pretend to be interested in other people's lives. And that sort of brings us to a deeper question, and that is, if you're not interested in others, why not? Because relationship is incredibly important. And becoming interested in the, in the lives of others and connecting with others is very fundamental to our own sense of well-being, to our own sense of mental and emotional and relational health. Are you interested in other people? Being curious grows out of the very real belief about others, namely that they're worth knowing. Selfishness is sort of the enemy of believing that people are worth knowing. And so we, we do live in a culture that promotes the idea that people are not worth knowing. Egocentric people are very rarely truly curious because they take all of their time to be full of themselves. It's hard when you're self-centered to be curious about others. We're getting into the basics of understanding in humanity, empathy, putting, being able to put ourselves, what it means for us to be able to get outside of our own skin and project ourselves, our feelings, our understanding in the lives of others. Curiosity reveals a great deal about the mental health of what's going on. We talked about self-disclosure. One of the dangers of self-disclosure is some people constantly talk about themselves. Some people dominate conversation. They, they don't balance out self-disclosure with curiosity. Remember, this is a give and take. It's a dance. Good conversation means we, we are being the listener and then we are revealing and then we're listening and then we're revealing and we're asking questions and we're disclosing and we're curious. We do the dance. It's not all one thing or the other. And so... Are you curious? Do you like people? In healing conversations, when we've built this foundation of trust, when we're offering others a spirit of humility, when we're starting conversations with a belief that we don't really know a lot, but we're life's a laboratory, we're on a journey, we're experimenting, we're talking, we're learning, we're growing, we're willing to change, 
We don't think we've cornered the market on wisdom or understanding. There's still a lot to know. And if you don't know, the world's changing, and what worked in 1952 or 1967 or 1973 or 2020 doesn't necessarily work now. We have to continue to grow and mature and listen and adapt because that's how the world works and that's how relationships work. There's a vulnerability in all of that. And so trust and humility and self-disclosure, and now we begin to talk about this curiosity and what it means. Active listening. The body gets involved. We lean in. We make eye contact. I can't tell you how many times in counseling people break down because I'm looking at them. I'm looking in their eyes, and they weep. And sometimes I'll say, what happened? I don't know. I don't know. You're just looking at me. You're just listening. It's a powerful, powerful thing to actually listen. A couple of things about that. I think sometimes we mix up feelings and facts. I think a lot of times when people are discussing and wanting to have a meaningful conversation and curiosity is involved, we have a tendency to go, oh, let me correct that fact. You misstated that. Listen, feelings are generally what people are talking about. They might be based in some way in facts or not facts, but when somebody is revealing, when we're genuinely curious, we let the feelings come. So here's a little thing I like to say. Feelings aren't right or wrong. They're not good or bad. They're not true or false, but they are real, and they have to be dealt with. I, I find this trap with my kids all the time. My kids will say something, and I'll say, well, that's not true. And my kids will remind me, I have four daughters. They will remind me, these are my feelings. You can't say that's not true. They, these are my feelings. And so I have to remind myself of this little mantra. They're not right or wrong. They're not true or false. They're not good or bad, but they are real, and they have to be dealt with. And so sometimes I have to listen to a lot of feelings, and then I have to say, well, have you thought about, again, I'm asking questions instead of making statements because I'm curious and somewhere in there, I want to say, hey, have you thought about this? Yeah, I thought about it. I rejected it. It turns out sometimes my kids have been down journeys and, and in the laboratory and doing experiments and have learned more than I'll ever know. And I'll never know if I don't listen and ask good questions and practice a kind of curiosity. Curiosity is willing, willing to, f to hear the feelings and not just practice the facts, not just recite them or hang on to them. It's getting below that surface into the humanity of all of it. All of it, this process of being truly interested, leaning in, actively listening, leads us into a place of understanding. We, we actually get to understand how another human being thinks, works, feels, functions, and that just leads us into great, healthy relationships. We're going to unpack that when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations. I'm Pastor Dave Roberts. Eric McClenahan is joining us in studio this morning. Welcome, Eric. Hey, hey. So don't you love talking about curiosity? Yeah. I'm a curious person by yeah. nature, I think. I think that's very true. I think as, as people read the book, as they listen week to week on this show, there are some that will feel authentic and resonate and some that will be like, I really have to work hard at self-disclosure or humility. Yeah. But curiosity... I mean, my podcast is all about finding out about people. Yeah. This is 
this is not one that, this is one that really resonates with me. I'll say. Yeah. And how much fun it is, you know, when, you know, and we've done some interviews on this show with people that are, you know, coming from a way different belief structure than we are and how much fun it is to Mm -hmm. get to know them, to listen to them, uh, to find them so surprised that we can have respectful, meaningful conversations together and, uh, you know, how rare it is. I think just in general, it's a gift that you're giving somebody. Yeah. You know, like you said, we all, we all can think of someone in our, in our minds that you walk away from a conversation and you're like, that was, I love talking to that person. You realize it's, they just asked you how you're doing and right. you know, that's yeah. how rare that is sometimes. Yeah. My favorite lunch, you know, all I talked about was me, you yeah. know, this, this cause, cause there are certain people that are so good at that. And then I have one friend that I know if I'm going to lunch with them, they're not going to ask me one question about yeah. myself. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I can think of that person too. Yeah. And I always think, well, I'm going to eat a good meal today cause I'll have plenty of time. <laughs> you know what I was kind of interesting and this is more about our relationship with God than with each other, I suppose, our conversations with God. But I realized I was never curious about God until about five or six years ago. Yeah. I never, all these questions that I ask you, all these things that I wrestle in my head, I just kind of took what I had learned early in life and kept that going. And curiosity never played in a relation in my relationship with God at all until about five or six years ago. Yeah. And really the verse that you pointed out at the beginning about a tree bearing fruit was it. Does this really work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is does what I believe about God actually bear fruit? Yeah. Yeah. And what do you think triggered that? Um man, I could probably point to a lot of things. I think I think a big part of it was I had in my mind that only Christianity was doing things right. Yeah. And I had gone to Christian schools, Christian college, then started working at a church. I had a very small bubble of my worldview. And as my worldview expanded, I saw people living good lives in other ways. And I had to start questioning the walls that I had put up around what I believed. And I had to start thinking of things like that. And then people that were just challenging different ideas that I had inside the faith and outside of the faith. Yeah. I had never been really exposed or really Christianity had gone well for me. Sure. I didn't have any reason to doubt it. And I just happened upon people that questioned things and it made me start to wonder. Yeah. Well, do you think that that journey of curiosity about God has grown you, benefited you, made it harder, made it better? Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. And Wait, wait, wait. Which thing? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. It's grown me. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I I feel like, I feel like whatever direction people think that I'm going, I feel like I'm getting closer to truth. Yes. Getting closer to an authentic relationship with who God really is. Right. Not some, you know, American Westernized version of who he is or whatever I learned growing up, bits and pieces that I don't believe anymore, but... I think it's been good for me. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I think even when we start this conversation, there are people that are probably like, oh, no, you know, I'm not sure we're supposed to go down that road. Should we be curious about God? Should we be curious about this or that? And and so I think there's that reality in it where we, you know, God is open to this journey of curiosity and experimentation and laboratory and, you know, um, and I think it does benefit us, this honest exposure, this honest search 
this honest seeking, you know, in fact, the scripture, so, you know, asking will be given, seeking you'll find, knocking the door will be open. We're encouraged to be in that space, to be looking in that way. I think it matters. But curiosity, you know, and, and when I start to think about it, because immediately in all we've talked about so far is just individual curiosity about someone else or about God. Mm-hmm. But what about curiosity about groups of people? Yeah. Like are, are there any Republicans listening this morning that are curious about Democrats and where they, where they think and what's, what's going on in that political movement? Are there any Democrats curious about Republicans? Are there any – Vaxers that are curious about anti-vaxers. Are there? Do we? Do we? We just kind of throw people in those groups. And we go. I don't need to know any more about that. Yeah, sure. Well, it's part of what you talk about in the book too about the harshness of tribalism, yeah. the negatives of tribalism, to the point where I see if if you're at all curious and you want to approach a group of people and say, "Hey, I'd like to know this," you're starting on a negative with a lot of people. Yeah. You're supposed to be born woke. You're supposed to already right. know that. Right, right. The fact that you're even asking that is an affront to them. It's offensive. Right. How could you even, right. how do you not know this? Go learn it on your own. We, we've kind of created a culture that curiosity is almost a negative. Oh, well, academic curiosity is a negative. Yeah. You know, everything's locked in and locked down and we already know everything we need to know and this is what it is. And the, the suggestion that there are multiple ideas and multiple perspectives and it's all about working it out and What's the hypothesis? And, you know, uh, we've decided that's not a valid way of doing a lot of our scientific work anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it is a lockdown world that we live in, a lockdown culture, maybe that's a better way to say it. Right. Does it bear fruit? Does it work? We're not allowed yeah. to ask those questions in a lot of yeah. settings. And I think one of the things that's happened to us, uh, and I think this is fair, uh, the world is so complex and well-informed now. I mean, let's be honest. Um you know, our neighborhood is JPL. You know, we have a number of scientists that attend our church. And, and you know, the number of satellites, I don't know, I've heard it, but I don't remember. The number of satellites that are just gathering data from the Earth. You know, Earth science is a big part of what JPL does. It puts satellites in space to observe. We know so much about what's going on with our own world, but the results, you know, of what the experiment will turn out to be is – Decades are centuries away. Mm-hmm. And so when, when the outcome is so far in front of the hypothesis, I think we just sort of throw up our hands and we're never going to see the fruit of that. We're never going to get it. We're never going to understand it. And I think this vast knowledge that we have, it makes it harder to be patient with outcomes and to be patient with fruit. And I think mm-hmm. that's fair for people. I mean, I don't think that's a, a negative for individuals who see that and go, well, I'm just going to, I'm latching onto this because I can't know what's going to happen, you know, in a hundred years or 500 years right, or a right. thousand years. Right. And we do talk way more about that now. You know, remember George Orwell, he writes this revolutionary book called 1984. I mean, he's not looking way, way ahead. It's just, it's out there, right. you know? So I think uh, that's different now because a lot of the things we talk about, we, you know, we're not going to see the answers for a long time. It yeah. doesn't mean we shouldn't then sit down in that and say, maybe I'm not right. Maybe yeah. maybe I need to be more curious and keep gathering information. Yeah. I mean, even if it's false hope, it's more, it might seem more hopeful to hold on to the small knowledge you do have and just sit in that space. Yeah. 
Like we talk about the haircut all the time. Someone gets a haircut right. in the eighties and then they just keep that haircut forever. Yeah. Like this is my knowledge. I'm good with it. I'm not curious. Yeah. I don't need to know anything else. I feel safe in this space right here. Yeah. I, I have a friend. I won't, I won't mention his name, but he's a, he's a, a person that's far up in JPO. Mm-hmm. And he, he says this publicly. He, I've heard him say it a couple of times, but he'll say it is wonderful to work with people who are sure how the universe works. Mm. And then when they are proven wrong, they come back to work the next day and now they're sure how the universe works. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting way to think about life, you know, how sure people are until they're not sure anymore. Yeah. You know, and why we ought to be more curious about each other and about groups of people who are not like us or who don't think like us. Right. Well, I mean, I, we talk about my faith journey a little bit at the beginning of this. I think what, well, that's what's hard is I want to remain curious. And so if I deconstructed a lot of things that I used to believe that I don't believe anymore, I don't want to then just construct a new set of things that 20 years from now I won't believe again. Sure. Like the audacity to believe that right now I'm going to figure out God and put together the perfect structure. But then you almost feel like you're floating, like you don't have anything to stand on because you don't want to construct the next set of things. Yeah. You know, what is the core truth that I can stand on is something I struggle with a lot. Well, and, and, you know, and when you begin to couch things in those terms, then you think about this, you know, Jesus came into an environment that was highly dogmatically structured around religion. Mm. And he presented this idea that was completely revolutionary. And that is, it's not about that. It's about relationship because in relationship, you get this fluid connection, you know, whereas in, Religion, you get a dogma and a structure and a ritual. But in relationship, you get a fluid connection in which you are paired together with, as the Scripture teaches us, the Holy Spirit and the power of God and the presence of God into this walking journey in which you're learning as you go and life is changing and culture is changing and you're adapting constantly. But it's this living, changing, working relationship and that – that the whole of the New Testament is built around this idea, even the whole of the Old Testament and covenant and the walk with Abraham and all of that, it's built around this idea of relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think anytime we move very far past that, then we, we are damaging what religion is about and we are limiting the curiosity of people in the broadest sense of the word. Sure. And I grew up with make sure you're on the right team at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with that thought, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and we're going to keep this conversation going. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Healing Conversations on KABC 790. I'm Dave Roberts. Uh, Eric McClenahan's in studio. We're talking about curiosity and how important it is to healing conversations and relationships in general. So as we've been talking through it, were there questions that popped up for you or things that stood out or things you didn't like? Or Yeah, I mean, I talked about how this one really resonates with me, but I, w- I want to know your thoughts just in general about all these topics. And they're not all going to be natural. Do they have to at some point become authentic? Can these be learned behaviors that we can get better at? I think so. I mean, I do think that there's an underlying... You know, you got to get to the right layer at some level. So to say, I'm going to be curious, but I don't, I'm not interested in other people or I'm not interested in other perspectives. Well, you know, you, you can't go be curious if you're really not interested. I think then you have to ask that other question, go to that other layer and go, well, why am I not interested? Mm-hmm. What is it about the way I live or the way I've been taught or the way I was brought up that causes me to not be that interested in other perspectives? 
do I just think I'm right and they're wrong? Because then I need to go back to humility and think about the knowledge base versus what I believe. And I've, I've shared this story before, um, but uh, and I don't know who the author is. I apologize for that. So if this is your story, uh, <laughs> I love your story, even though I don't know how to. And the reason I don't know the author is because I heard another speaker share the story. And uh-huh. But the story was about uh, in Boston, evidently, if you're a clergy person, you get to have free tickets to all the Red oh, Sox yeah, games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this particular pastor was telling the story of, so I go and I sit down behind home plate because I go early and I can smell the grass and I can hear it's conversation between players and, uh, you know, and it's just this whole experience. And then somebody comes and it's their seat. So I have to move. So then I move up a little. And from where I'm sitting now, I can see, you know, the whole infield and I can see the signals coming in from the third base coach and I can see what's happening between the catcher and the pitcher. And then somebody arrives and I need to move and, Eventually, I end up in the very top seat, uh, you know, in the top deck, and I can see the whole field at once. I can see the bullpen. I can see all this going on. And then he says, I realize that every place I sit in the stadium, I have a different perspective of the game. And he said, in life, I just get one seat at the game. And my perspective will always be terribly limited. And if I don't listen and I'm not curious or interested in the other seats and how the game looks to them— then I'll have a very limited view of what life is and what culture is and what's meaningful. And so I think that idea of why are we not interested? Because we only get one seat at the game. You know, um, uh, when we talk about racial issues, how do you not become curious about how another person of another race is experiencing life? Because that's a seat at the game you're not going to get. And if you don't listen, if you're not interested, if you're not curious— then you're not going to see that part of the game. You'll never understand it. So I think those layers, you know, um, like you said, some of these appeal more than others. But uh, I think it's so vital. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't sit down one day and go, I think I'll write a book. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you sit down and go, well, I'm thinking about this and this is meaningful and that journey leads you. And then you start to analyze and think about. And so, you know, this is a distillation of what happens over, you know, three, four decades of working with people and going, hey, these are the people who seem to have the healthiest relationships. These elements are present. These things, I I mean, I find this to be really true when people come in for counseling. This issue of curiosity, it's a gift. To to just sit in space and let someone tell their story is a very powerful thing. Often people are okay just because they told their story. Yeah, you know. And if on the other end of that story, uh, self disclosure, they find affirmation, uh, forgiveness, acceptance, then it's an amazing thing that happens. How how deeply we need that mm-hmm. as human beings. So. What do we what do we do if we don't have that if we're in any kind of relationship spouse or a parent or a child what can we do if you you said last week the difference between i statements and you statements if someone's just giving you a bunch of i statements where do you go from that point yeah well it's hard i mean <laughs> You know, one in two marriages in America end in divorce. And one of the reasons it does is because we become so focused on what our story is and our needs are and what's not happening and how we're unhappy. You know, I just think your relationships that are healthy, they're not a 50-50 relationship. Mm-hmm. They're a relationship where each person's given about 80 or 90 
mm-hmm. and always feel like, you know, at some level, uh, it's my job, it's my responsibility, it's my commitment to care at this level. Right. If there's not a bunch of overlap there, then somebody's always feeling left out. Somebody's always feeling wounded. Somebody's always feeling hurt. Right. And over time, those become deep scars, and they create dysfunction. You know, you can only ask for help so many times before you, you know, you just sort of become numb. Right. And it seems like, I mean, this one and last week on self-disclosure really go hand in hand because if someone comes to me and they are curious, my response of self-disclosure plays a big role in if they're going to be curious again towards me. Sure. Yeah, the quality of what you share and the depth of what you share. I do think this, and I talk about this in premarital, I think men have a tendency to uh, shoot off flares that are meaningless. Mm. You know, so I think when a, when a guy starts to self-disclose, like, for example, you know, I hear this from <clears throat> people. I've heard it from my own wife. You know, you hardly ever tell me anything, but then you talk to your friends and you tell them everything. Mm. You know, and you're like, well, yeah, but, you know, I— I started to tell you something and you weren't interested at the Mm. beginning. So I never got to anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Do you you, want to know why Cody Bellinger struggling this year at the plate? Exactly. (laughs) Because that's what we talked about in the car. And I think men are worse about this than women. And that is I'll shoot off a meaningless flare and see if you're interested because I don't want to do something meaningful and have my feelings hurt right away. Right. So if it's meaningless and you're not interested, I'm like, well, of course they're not interested because they don't care about that. But if you were to say, well, tell me more about that. Right. Oh, really? Because that's what my friends do. Right. Really? What's that? And then you find yourself just being drawn naturally into talking more and more, and you kind of get into it. So I think that, yeah, that reality of self-disclosure and the quality of it, but also curiosity to be patient. We're not yeah. patient in conversations. Yeah. No, I mean, there are definitely, I can think of relationships I have where you go, well, I kind of stopped being curious because I didn't have an hour. Afterwards, or you know, I didn't want to deal with the drama afterwards, or you know, that's why the self disclosure on the other end it's a tricky balance sometimes, I think, right? Yeah, well, and it's a dance. I mean, I think the best way to think of it is it's a dance, and you've got to dance on the side of self disclosure and dance on the side of curiosity, and you've got to do both well. Mm -hmm. You know, anyone can fall into which, also, by the way, some people hide in curiosity. You know, I just never, I'm always interested in somebody else. I never self-disclose. Right. Because that's my way of being caring without taking any risk. But at some point, that's not very satisfying in a relationship. At some point, somebody's going to go, hey, you know, the rest of us are spilling our guts, but you're saying nothing. Sure, you sure. Know? And so I need you to be at, again, back to that trust illustration is, we're we're risking at the same level. We're we're willing to risk and be vulnerable at the same levels because that's how healthy trust is built. Is right. I got skin in the game and so do you. Right. You know. You you mentioned the story about the kids studying to be in ministry. Where do I go if I don't really like people? Yeah. Worship leading is not bad. A bad way. It's a good place. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. in general, because in general, I'm up there. And when I'm up there at the start of the service, there's not a lot of people in Los Angeles that get to church on time. Yeah, sure. And then they file out real quick when I'm up there doing the closing song. So I don't really have to deal with as many people. I'm just sure. put it out there for people. Yeah, if for you anybody really that's like people, really interested worship, in ministry. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I suppose that's a good spot to, to think about it. Well, I do think, uh, you know, as we kind of get into that whole uh, maybe circling back to where we were in the beginning, and that is fruit. You know, what's the fruit of your life? Um, are you satisfied with it? Is it sweet? 
Is it uh, nourishing? You know, is it good for you? Uh, is it good for the people around you? Um, you know, so one of the sad things to see in relationship is when it feels like one person is carrying the weight of the of the relationship or the family or, you know, it falls on uh, that person to always be the shock absorber or always be the one that's nourishing. And, you know, people wear out over time. And, uh, and so just to stop and do a little analysis and think, what's the fruit like? Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said this years ago, and uh, it's a worthwhile prayer to think about as we kind of wrap up today. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to love, to be loved as to love. For it's in giving that we receive, it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. And I think that curiosity is the gift that says, I'm going to take responsibility for making the world a better place. Uh, The whole concept of healing conversations is just simply saying, I'm going to make the world a better place. I'm going to do something. I'm going to take some tools and I'm going to work on growth and maturity because I want my home to be better. I want my relationships to be better. I want my kids to feel more connected and loved. I want my grandkids to feel that way. I want my neighbor to feel that way. I want people like me to feel that way and people who aren't like me. I want to have some honor and respect. And I'm curious. Life's a great laboratory and I'm experimenting. And maybe some things that I'm doing aren't working. They're not producing very good fruit. And so I'm going to think about how to change that. I'm going to try something else. The definition of insanity is doing the same things and expecting different results. So I'm going to change what I'm doing. And I'm going to find a way to make this world a better place. And I'm going to have some healing conversations. That's my prayer for you. God bless you. Thanks for listening today.